Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday morning to you. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing today? Doing good, Jason. Hope you are. I'm doing wonderful, Bill. Uh, excited for the show today, and we're going to talk about <laughs> the two topics, Bill, that we can never avoid, and that is death and taxes. Well, it's, uh, it's important when you're a planner to understand those things which you cannot avoid. That's right. And so uh, I, I thought I would uh, uh, take on a, a couple of the th- issues that may be helpful to us if we, if we uh, talk about uh, issues related to death and taxes. And, of course, uh, we can't avoid death, but we can certainly uh, avoid the pain it can cause our families in the aftermath if we do things right. And, of course, the same thing is true with taxes. There are uh, for a lot of folks, uh, you just uh, have to pay what you have to pay, and, you know, that's the way it is. But for many people, there are ways you can adjust what you do in order to pay less. And all of us like to pay less. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I, the first thing I want to do is to, to take on uh, income taxes. Um, you, you know that tr- when it comes to other taxes, you know, if, if I want to eliminate issues, um, we have a state tax, and or you can call that a death tax. And the state of North Carolina really does not have uh, a death tax anymore. We used to, but we haven't had one for a number of years. Um, but we still have a federal a state tax, which is a death tax, but it only ex- affects the ultra-wealthy. So for the, the rest of us in the world, we don't have to wor- really worry about a state tax at all. Um, right now, the exemption per person for a state tax is $11.4 million uh, each. So... <laughs> Uh, most of us can do that math real quick and, and realize that we don't have an estate tax problem. Um, now, I will say this. You have to understand that uh, most of us don't revise our planning except about every 20 years. I mean, they, that's average, and that's a terrible record, folks, but that, <laughs> that's the way we are. We procrastinate and procrastinate and finally get around to it, and hopefully you get around to it before you die. Because you have to understand, if we go back 20 years, the exemption amount was $675,000, not $11.4 million. So many, many, many middle-class families had to worry about estate tax. And as a tax planner, one who was very busy doing uh, trusts and tax plans for families back in the 90s, uh, and in fact, in the earlier 90s, the exemption was only $600,000. So what I'm getting at it <laughs> is that everybody, pretty much, who had any property at all had an estate tax problem back then. But now uh, you don't. The problem is this. If you did a trust plan that included a tax plan, which just about everybody did, 
back in the late 90s or anywhere in 2000 to 2010 or 11, it is highly likely that your trust plan is not what you should have today. Uh, there are far better ways, even if you have a really nice estate of, say, a four or five or six or seven million dollars, it's highly likely that the estate tax plan that you have in your trust is the wrong plan for your family today. So I will say that. That's, that's about it. And now a lot of folks had tax planning in their wills, you know, the last will and testament, rather than in a trust agreement. And they have the same problem. If they did their planning back in the late 90s or early 2000s, early 21st century, <laughs> then you got a problem, and you really need to see about it, and the sooner the better. Um, now, gift taxes. Well, uh, there are times where the gift tax has not been consistent with the estate tax, but uh, and uh, most folks know that you can give away $10,000 or more, and actually the exemption amount today is 15000 A lot of folks still think it's ten, or some people think twelve, but no, it's 15000 So each one of us can give as many folks as we want up to $15,000 and not pay any gift tax and not even have to file a gift tax return. Okay, so that's the exclusion amount. 15000 per person. And if we're married, our, our, we together our, um, can give $30,000 per person. And if we want to make a gift to a child who is married, we could actually make a gift of $60,000 and not even file a gift tax return. So that's a lot of money and a lot more than most of us would give anybody at any one time. And then what a lot of folks don't realize is that we also have, and this is something that is almost unheard of, but um, we have it, and that is let's say that we give more than $15,000 in one year. That does not mean we have to pay gift tax. It means that we have to file a gift tax return and use part of our exemption. We all have a lifetime exemption, and that lifetime exemption, like the estate tax, is $11.4 million each. So most of us can give our entire estate away 10 or 15 times <laughs> and never have to pay a nickel in gift tax. So it's not really an issue. But to the degree, and of course, gifting has some other tax issues, so people should not give away valuable property without consulting a, 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 a tax attorney or a CPA or someone who can actually explain to you the negative consequences of giving property away or maybe can find a different way to uh, skin that cat for you without the negative uh, tax consequences uh, that go with gifting. Now, when we come back to income tax, you know, there are a lot of unhappy people right now, a lot of regular old folks that when they are now that they're having their income taxes returned, uh, you know, done, um, they're finding that that they're having to owe money or that their uh, refund is very small compared to what they were uh, expecting. And, you know, I've warned people about this last year, but 
the you know the biggest culprit in it is the fact that the Internal Revenue Service changed the withholding amounts to make people feel like they had more money in their pockets. So the solution for m- many folks is simply to make sure your employer withholds a little bit more than what the withholding tables might suggest. That's a big. Now, once we get away from that problem, there truthfully are a bunch of us who have to pay more in in income tax because of the, the way they took away the personal exemptions. Uh, so a lot of folks who used to itemize are finding that they may owe more tax this year. So anytime the tax code is changed, you can guarantee that there are winners and there are losers. You know, there's never been a tax change where uh, everyone wins. And so we know already that the big winners are the big income people, the folks who make a lot of income. They actually got a very sweet income tax return this year, and they will be very, very pleased. Now, there's another group that I want to talk about, and I know we're going to have to take a break, but uh, and that's business owners uh, and folks who are um, who have what we call pass-through entity businesses, such as uh, limited liability companies (LLCs) and sub-S chapter. Uh, corporations uh, and uh, partnerships and the like. Um, uh, those um, uh, and sole proprietors too. In other words, folks who have a business, in other words, something more than a hobby, those folks have a new special tax break. And I want to go into a little more depth this uh, week to make sure that people understand uh, what um, that means to them because uh, it, it's got some great potential savings for folks who may own a business. That's good news when it comes to taxes. So small business owners, stick around. You're going to want to hear what Bill has to say next. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you want to find out more about Bill, you can go online to WGALaw.com. That's Bill's website. You can find plenty of information about him, his monthly seminars, and uh, it's a good way to also schedule an appointment if you want to speak with Bill. We are talking about death and taxes today, Bill. And just before the break, you <laughs> were giving the uh, the small business owners of the world out there who might have a, a pass-through tax entity, uh, you were saying that there's some good news. Well, it, it actually, it applies to more than just the small pass-through business owners. It, it, can, uh, it can also uh, be available to folks who make a good bit of money. That's good. Okay. And but it's uh, here's the thing to remember. It's called the 199A deduction. And it's uh, really sweet if if um, it applies to you. Okay. 
Um, and it's, it is a deduction specifically for business owners who own pass-through entities such as an LLC. If Well, and actually an LLC can be, you can elect in an LLC to be a C-Corp, which is not a pass-through entity. It doesn't apply under those circumstances. But 99.99% of LLCs are taxed as either partnerships or um, uh, sub-S corporations or as sole proprietors. And so, uh, and then you have corporations that elect to be taxed as sub-S corporations, and those are pass-through entities. And, of course, it also applies to uh, sole proprietors and just regular old partnerships, such as, let's say you own a family farm or you've inherited uh, some real estate together with siblings. Um, well, you're in a de facto partnership there, or uh, you might be a sole proprietor who has rental real estate. Um, now, this uh, deduction does not apply to vacant land, um, and it does not apply to what's called triple net lease property uh, in terms of real estate. But otherwise, to the degree that you have any kind of real estate other than your residence, doesn't apply to your residence, um, then it does apply to real estate investors. So it's wonderful. Um, now, uh, for all of the tax and estate attorneys out there, you also have to understand that this deduction also applies to trusts, irre irrevocable trusts, and it also applies to estates, um, you know, like decedents' estates. So uh, it, it's a very important deduction for, un for folks to understand. Now, for those... Um, folks who have the ability to manipulate, uh, you know, how businesses pass from one generation to the next, this 199A deduction is extremely important because part of the formula of this deduction has to do with the unadjusted basis of the property. So the higher the basis, then the bigger the deduction you get. Okay, well, guess what? If I just gift property to my children, in other words, some people want to make those gifts so they can, quote, protect the property. I hate this because people need to be dissuaded not to do that. But they do it, and they don't ask for advice. They just do it thinking they know what they're doing. Well, when you make a gift, an absolute gift like that, you are giving your children the uh, your own tax basis. So, for instance, if I buy a piece of property, you know, 40 years ago for $30,000 and it's worth $300,000 and I give it to my children, then they take that property with that very, very low tax basis. So when they sell it, they have to pay capital gains tax. However, if they inherit it from me, or if I do planning where they get what's called a step-up in income tax basis, they inherit it at the new basis, which is fair market value at the date of my death. Well, obviously, if they can take property with a much higher basis, that's really good for them. So the, the, the attorneys out there who have 
uh, something to do with how people take their property, particularly if it's business property, they better be looking at to make sure that the uh, heirs, the next generation, receive a higher basis. That's really important planning for those folks. So um, anyway, anyone who's responsible for generational planning, this is a really important thing to do. So, all right. Now, there are two rules in place, okay? And so there is a group of businesses that only get one side of the equation. And that has to do with 20. In other words, you get a deduction of 20% of your qualified business income, of your business income, if it's a qualified business. And so, in other words, it has to be that pass-through business. Um, and, uh, uh, and now, some folks only get one side of the equation, and most of those are service businesses like lawyers, <laughs> doctors, uh, accountants, um, uh, 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 their financial services, um, uh, you know, like brokers and those kind of folks, uh, athletes, uh, perform, you know, um, you know, artists, performers, those those kind of uh, folks. Um, so th- those folks still get the twenty percent if their income is at the right level. Now, other pass-through businesses actually get a that formula plus another formula that has to do with the uh, unadjusted basis of the property that they have. Um, and so I'm not going to go into the weeds as it relates to that, but I'm just saying uh, that folks like um, uh, folks who own real estate, that's a big for a lot of folks, uh, and other any kind of pass-through entity business uh, that's not enumerated. And one of the quirky ones that um, is not part of the enumerated one are insurance um, agents, Uh, but only those insurance agents that are not also financial planners because the financial planners are part of those enumerated uh, service businesses, but insurance agents are not. So... Just a little exception to the rule there that folks need to know. And to the degree that a person does both, if they separate their insurance business from their financial services, they can actually get um, the, the secondary formula on the insurance business while they cannot get the secondary formula on their financial services business. It's sort of quirky, but that's the way it is. Um, so... Uh, can't be a hobby, can't be your residence, uh, has to actually be a legitimate pass-through business. But what folks need to understand is that there's just so many um, deals. Now, there's an income cap that is an expansive view of income, and it's for um, um, – what am I trying to say – in other words, if you're all of your income, not just from your business, is $315,000 or less, and you're a married couple filing jointly, then you get that right. Now, it phases out once your total income is more than 415000 So less than 315000 is the sweet spot. 
And if you're between 315 and 415, then you still get a nice deduction, but it phases out after 415. And, and qu- quite frankly, if you're in that 315 or two over, now, if that you're limited to those if you're a service business. Now, this is what's crazy. If you're not one of those enumerated service businesses, but another pass-through business, then you get that second formula, and you don't strike out at 415000 But the formula's different. And then you, you have to do both formulas, and whichever is less is the deduction that you get. But you have to know both formulas in order to, um, to calculate which deduction that you actually get. So... Now, for instance, let me give you an example of how this can be very helpful to folks who aren't rich. (laughs) Let's say you have a lawn care business or maybe uh, and you add snow removal to it and that sort of thing. And your business made $40,000 last year. Um, So obviously it's it's a small business and you had $20,000 of other income. Well, your deduction under this 199A is $8,000. Why? Well, you have to take your business income of 40 and multiply that by 20%, and 20% of $40,000 is $8,000, and you get a full $8,000 deduction. Isn't that cool? Now, if, uh, if this guy, we'll call him John, if John decides he's tired of uh, running this business and paying employees and doing the other stuff that it takes to run a small business, and he just goes to work for his friend Jack, who has another lawn care business and you know gets paid as an employee, he loses this deduction because an employee does not get this deduction. It's the it's the business owner that gets this deduction. So it's it's really important to understand how that how that works. Uh, here's another one. Let's let's say you and your wife own a restaurant and your restaurant earns $100,000 annually net profit. And you also have a construction company and the construction company made $150,000. And let's say you had $30,000 of other income. Well, the deduction for this family would be $50,000, okay? So where do you get that from? Well, you have 20% of $100,000 and 20% of $150,000 because both of these businesses were qualified businesses. And so that's a lot of money that you're saving, Um All right, let's take another one. Let's say that you have a married couple and they have $200,000 of salaried income and then they have $50,000 of outside business income, a qualified business. Well, what's their deduction? Well, if they have $50,000, your deduction is what? $10,000, 20% of $50,000, $10,000. And while... $10,000 and $50,000, it's still a really nice deduction to add in there because that's that's real money, folks. (laughs) (laughs) So, 
Uh, okay, let's go into one that's a little more complex, and then I'll, I know that people are getting fuzzed over at this point because nobody likes to talk about taxes to this degree, but I hope I get excited about some of this stuff. Let's say that Randy has a large rental real estate portfolio. He's got a bunch of properties that he rents out, and he purchased his property for $1.5 million over the last 25 years. Now, this excludes the land. We're just talking about the improved structures on the property. Uh, but we're not worried about how much he has um, depreciated the property uh, over the last 25 years because this calculation is based on the unadjusted basis. So prior to depreciation, and for all of those real estate people out there, they, they should be listening because this is really important stuff here. So he has no employees. He does all the work himself. Uh, and so uh, let's just say that his income is $200,000 from the rentals, and he has total taxable income of $600,000. All right, so that's over $415,000. And you think, oh, no deduction, but not true because this isn't one of those service businesses. So you can actually calculate a difference. Now, what's his deduction? Based on this, it's $37,500. Now, where do you get that from? Well, you have 20% of $200,000, which is um, $40,000, and that's greater than $1.5 million times 2.5%. So 1.5 million, the unadjusted basis, is uh, times two and a half percent is thirty-seven thousand five hundred dollars, and you can take the lesser of the two formulas. And so in this case, guess what? He gets thirty-seven thousand five hundred dollar deduction. Pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is new, and so folks better make sure. That, that this is a, a deduction that they have figured in. Now, um, you know, it, it's huge. And, and um, this, so business owners are one of the winners in the tax act if they have a pass-through entity or if they own real estate. And I realize I've gone on a little long, but this deduction is so important uh, for those folks who have a business and, you, and the other thing that folks – now, uh, the 315000 to four fifteen is based upon a married couple filing jointly. So what if you're not a married couple filing jointly? Do you still get this deduction? Yes. Now, the new tax code eliminated the, the penalty for married couples who file separately. So the numbers that I just – if you're married filing separately or if you're single or if you're a trust or if you're an estate filing a tax return, you get exactly half of $315,000, which is $157,500. Now, the other thing for folks to understand is that this deduction is indexed 
which basically means next year the deduction, your income cap, is going to be higher than three hundred fifteen thousand, or for the uh, everybody else, one hundred fifty-seven thousand five hundred dollars. It's indexed; it's going up each year in terms of what that income cap is. Excellent. The deduction's still twenty percent, though. Right? Yeah, that's great. And this is called the ten ninety-nine. No, 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 no. Or excuse me, one ninety-nine. <laughs> I, I, I went crazy there, Bill. Oh uh, yeah, you got too excited. All right, one ninety-nine A. Okay, yes, very go. good. And it's for qualified business income. Excellent. Well, we'll have more right after this. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. I am Jason Kong, thanking you for joining us this morning. And uh, we're going to shift into a discussion on tax strategies. But before that, Bill, I was talking to you during the break. I was peppering you with questions. And I had one more question about trust before we move on. Mm-hmm. And that was, what happens if your trustee dies or something? they're incapacitated? Well, it's just like uh, any – well, a trust – it never fails for lack of a trustee. You can always have an additional trustee appointed. And, of course, what we like to do in our planning is we appoint our primary, the person we expect to be the trustee, and then we appoint a successor and sometimes two or three successor trustees. If this person can't do it, then we want someone else to do it. And a well-drafted trust will also have, okay, what if we haven't named somebody, even if we've named three or four potential trustees, the trust should have language in it, okay, what do we do if there's not one? And typically, a a well-drafted trust will say that the income beneficiaries of the trust can then name a trustee. And a a better drafted trust will give parameters on how they name them and and who they can name and whether they can name themselves as trustee. (laughs) It's very interesting. Um, So that's how it works. Now, uh, let me also mention this because this is something that I see occur frequently because you have to understand that trusts, once you've got them created and funded, they're easy. It's just like not having a trust in terms of what you're, how you're managing your property and spending the income and assets as you wish. When a person dies, a trust keeps on going. You just have a successor trustee. And so the mistake that so many families make is they don't do anything when one of the spouses dies or when the second spouse dies. It's because, hey, we, we're named as the successor. Let's keep on going. But the problem is they never read the trust, the trust agreement, and they, they don't do what the trust requires them to do. And so what I'm saying is when you have a trust and a spouse dies, you need at that time to seek counsel of, uh, again, a trust attorney, one who deals in trust. Now, sometimes, unfortunately, families go to their old family lawyer 
uh, could be a, a good lawyer, well-respected lawyer, but they don't know a darn thing about trusts. And oftentimes those attorneys, unfortunately, give you very poor advice. You need to have an attorney who does trust administration because there are a lot of requirements, most from the Internal Revenue Service, that has to be accomplished when a spouse dies. And there are time periods. There are a lot of things that have to be done within nine months of the death. And that's true when you don't have a trust as well. It's just that when you don't have a trust, you're forced into the court system and they force you to do the things that you're supposed to do. When you have a trust agreement, you don't have that strong arm saying you got to get this done, go do it. So families need to recognize that there's there's a huge uh, problem that they're creating if they don't see somebody that can help them through that process when a spouse dies. Yeah, it's a lot that you have to consider, and boy, uh, there's some ramifications if you don't consider those, is what you were hinting at, Bill. All yes, right, sir. let's get to income tax and tax right. strategies. Okay, well, I hate to say I told you so. <laughs> you did tell us, Bill. But... Uh, you, you know, a lot of folks are very, very disappointed at this point. We're just seeing that the folks are just filing their taxes and seeing what their refunds are. And and there are an awful lot of disappointed folks out there because people who uh, last year did not have to pay uh, income tax are paying income tax. And folks who got a big refund last year are getting no refund or a very little refund this year or not anything close to what they did. Now, why did that happen? You know, all of the economists are out there telling you that the majority of Americans really get a, did get a tax break. And there's some, there is a half-truth embedded in there. Um, uh, and the, but what, in, what happened was the Internal Revenue Service they changed the withholding tables. And what I said last year was be real careful because that the tax, the taxes were going to be pretty much the same for almost everybody. And, you're, and if your employer started uh, withholding less based on the new tables, that you were going to have trouble this time of year. And that's exactly what people are experiencing. So – if you're one of the unfortunate few that's really unhappy with your um, the fact that you're having to pay tax there this year, you need to go back to your employer and to withhold uh, more of your income, uh, pretty much the um, probably the amount that was withheld last year instead of this year, because uh, most Americans. Uh, the the tax reform act really and truly did not change uh, how much tax they paid to any significant extent. Maybe a few dollars. Well, anytime Congress messes with taxes, you know, tax reform act, there are winners and losers. There are people who will pay more and others who will pay less. So uh, if you want to really get down to who the winners and losers are, it's real simple. I mean, if you're listening, the big winners are the folks who make a ton of money. The, the, the big income uh, uh, people uh, who are used to paying taxes 
uh, because their incomes are so high. High-income wage earners and other uh, high-income people got a huge tax break, and middle-class folks, uh, normal taxpayers, particularly the ones who in the past itemized, those folks, for the most part, are the ones who are going to pay a good bit more in income tax. Even if their rate went down by 1%, because there was a, a rate adjustment from 25% to 24%, but the other changes that they made in the tax code basically meant that most people who in past years itemized, and they're not itemizing this year, will actually pay more dollars in tax. And that's assuming their income is exactly the same. Even though their rate went down, their taxes went up. And, <laughs> and that's really sad. Um and it it can even affect uh, seniors, you know, who um, have huge uh, health care expenses, and so they had uh, huge itemized deductions. Uh, and even though it sounds like the tax laws are the same, you you have uh, as it relates to your deduction, and you still itemize because you have fifty thousand dollars of. Uh, uh, of itemized deductions for healthcare expenses, you're actually getting uh, the the percentage might be the same, but because they took away your personal exemptions, um, you're actually uh, your deduction is worth less this year than it was last year. So if you had the same amount this year you, uh, than last year, you you might end up having to pay tax this year where you didn't have to pay tax last year. Because anybody who itemizes is actually losing some of the deduction that they had last year because of the elimination of the personal exemptions. Um, so they may, they may not be losing as much as they think, but at the same time, it's it's not a level game. It's there are winners and losers, and that's just the way it is. Now there are. Uh, 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 what, one of the things that I have mentioned to those folks who are on the margins of uh, itemizing or not itemizing, you know, a married couple has a $24,000 standard deduction today. A single person has a $12,000 standard deduction today. No personal exemption. So guess what? You have to have itemized deductions that are greater than $24,000 before you would itemize. So guess what? There are a lot of families that used to itemize in order to lower their income taxes that will not itemize now. And and that's, you know, so those folks uh, are, again, uh, those, those are the ones who are probably going to pay a little more in income tax this year than they did last year because of the change in, in how that is uh, added and subtracted. And that's important. So for those folks who are in that category, in other words, they're close to where they could itemize, but it doesn't make sense this year. Those are the folks that should bundle. (laughs) And by bundling, I mean paying your itemized uh, expenses as much as you can in one year and not the other year. 
So you take the standard deduction one year and you itemize the second year. In other words, uh, you know, uh, some bills that you could pay, health care bills or uh, property taxes, you push them all into the same year. So you pay your property tax in January uh, for last year, and then you pay them in, in December uh, for this year, and that way you bundle them into one year. So one year you take your itemized deductions, and the second year you take your standard deduction. And that's that will be helpful for a lot of families. And I know uh, that we need to take another break. But I, for those uh, business owners and professional service people like uh, physicians and dentists and architects and attorneys and small business people, there is a new deduction. If you understand how it works, you can use that new law, but you have to own your own business. And so obviously that that leaves a lot of folks out. But for those folks who own their own business, there is a deduction that you need to know about because you need to take action now so as to maximize uh, that deduction for yourself. And I'll explain that when we come back. All the business owners are, are sitting in their seats. They're <laughs> anxious now, Bill. And we'll, we'll give them that tip right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. We're talking about death, Bill, and I know you wanted to move on to what happens when someone dies. Right. Well, obviously, folks realize that when when a person dies, then um, somebody's got to take charge. And you don't run down to the courthouse the next minute. Uh, that's pretty impossible to do anyway. So it's the health care power of attorney that actually, under North Carolina law, has the ability to direct where the body goes. And then the family, somebody, hopefully, uh, needs to make the funeral arrangements to go to a funeral home or a crematorium and to make sure that those arrangements are made. Uh, those are um, obviously things that uh, typically are done before anybody looks at any estate planning document. So clearly, if you have preferences on uh, what arrangements you want to make, uh, obviously it, you need to do it or make darn sure that a trusted family member knows exactly what your wishes are, and hopefully they can be honored upon your death. Now, uh, how about after the funeral? Well, it's sort of like, well, what do I do now? Well, hopefully the funeral director will have contacted Social Security to stop Social Security payments. Uh, you need to also, uh, if you receive a pension, you need to inform them. Oftentimes there will be some life insurance uh, available with, from your pension plan. Uh, and so, and, um, you know, once you receive the death certificate, 
which normally takes a week or two, uh, generally about 10 business days to get a death certificate, but sometimes it takes longer. And so once you get the death certificate, you typically need five or six um, originals, sometimes more, and you would send the death certificates along with a claim form and uh, policies for the life insurance policies and annuities that you might have with with a death benefit. Uh, Also to the retirement accounts. A lot of folks don't think about that, but the retirement account custodian needs that as well. Um, And because typically there are going to be lots of assets that go outside of court administration, whether there's a will or not, you know, and beneficiary designations are those. Uh, life insurance, annuities, retirement accounts all go by beneficiary designations. And for some folks, uh, and I don't recommend this for most folks, but they can also have beneficiaries at their bank and at their brokerage. Uh, typically, that's not a good idea for any kind of uh, plan that's, that is um, – has any complexity to it, but if you want your spouse to receive everything, then that can work, although it can actually throw things in a tizzy if your spouse predeceases you or dies at the same result. So not necessarily good, uh, <laughs> but it, it, it can, can be helpful. Uh, it's important to see an attorney uh, who does a state administration uh, or trust administration. If you have a trust, it's really important to go to a trust attorney soon after you get the death certificate to make sure you're doing everything that you need to do. Oftentimes, some of the things that can be um, difficult are as simple as your motor vehicle. And if, uh, because oftentimes it's in two names and one of the persons on there has died and it's really important to get that title into the survivor's name and there's a spousal years allowance that can be done without a court administration it it, the clerk actually does it but it's a very inexpensive thing to do and so there are a lot of little things that have to be done but the worst thing you can do is to do nothing (laughs) <laughs> so, and that's particularly true for those folks who have a trust because trusts are easy and um, oftentimes people don't realize that they actually have stuff that needs to be done at the first death and the second death and they don't see the trust attorney until the second death and that causes lots and lots of problems yeah you do need to go get help and make sure that you're doing things in a timely fashion a quick break and back you're listening to asset protection today with attorney bill alexander on news radio 680 wptf News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. I want to remind you that you can find more about Bill at WGALaw.com. That's his website, WGALaw.com. That's where you can register for his free seminar next month. You can also check out his podcast on his website or any other 
podcast marketplace, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, you can find his Asset Protection Today podcast there, and you can stay connected and get plenty of the wonderful nuggets that Bill has to share and use to improve your life. And you can also call his office, 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. Bill, did I miss anything? I think we're good. I think we are good. We are out of time for today, but we hope you'll join us again next Saturday at 11 for Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a wonderful weekend.